Well, we've been doing this series called Book of Hebrews. We're going to be chapter by chapter by chapter. If this is your first time uh, here this morning, first time hearing this series, it's okay. This, the Bible's way better than Netflix. The Bible's way better than Amazon Prime or Neon. And, and when you're binge watching some show, you're like, I've got to watch it from episode one. And they're already on, epi- and they're on series six. And I've got to go back over here. The great thing about the Word of God, you can open it wherever you find. You can open up no matter what chapter you find in the Word of God. God wants to deposit something in your spirit. And I really believe God wants to deposit something in your spirit this morning, regardless of what chapter we're in. You, you won't miss a beat and won't miss a beat. Because um, today we're on chapter 6. It's okay. It's all right. It's fine. Chapter 6 is what you're supposed to hear. And you're here for that. Chapter 6. Um, it's an amazing thing. I was thinking about um, relationships the other day. I was with the youth. And every Friday night we do like this youth um, Bible study. Just a small group every Friday night here. Um, and we're talking about... Um, and it got me thinking about like back when I was younger. Remember... Yeah, you know, obviously, not, if you're young in the stream, you probably won't know this because you're not, you know, not into relationships. You're into about like focus on what God has for your life. But for us who are older, do you remember back then when we when we first fell in love? And remember back then, you're like ringing them up on the phone. You go to you go to the phone because you had to go to the phone because <laughs> it was attached to the wall. And you'll pick up that phone and, and had this. And for some of the young people, you won't know this. Had this little thing that's hanging off the phone, kind of went like this and connected to the phone, and you'd speak into this handle. Right, and it's called a phone, and then you would have to dial. Man, I should be like anyone. And then you'll talk to that person, and you'll be like, "Hey, you know, you're on there, and, and maybe you ring if it's a girl, and the, and the dad answers, and you're like, ching, hang up the phone, and then you're like, have this code. If you hear the phone ring two times, it's me. Pick up, up, get the. Anyway, but not that it's, I'm, I'm sharing any experience for myself. I just hear from other people. And then you're on the phone with them, and then you're like, no, you, you hang up. No, 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 no. You hang up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you know me and my wife will still do that today? That's right. I, I was away. I was, I was, um, where was I? I was up, up and down the country doing stuff. And I was in my room by myself. And, you know, today we FaceTime each other. That's right. We're moving up in the world, FaceTiming each other, and we're like, I was going, love you, love you. And then we just say, okay, bye, bye. And I'm like, I ain't, I ain't pressing the hang up button because you know whoever hangs up first doesn't love you as much. <laughs> Some way there, and they go, bye, and the portal just hangs up. <laughs> right? And so, um, you know, and then you, go, you kind of go online and you download these poems and you text it to the person you love as if you wrote it. You pretend you wrote this. I was thinking, I, just, I, just, I thought about you once today. But that thought lasted all day. You know, you know your dad, your, <laughs> some, if you're if you, if you, uh, maybe starting a relationship, take some notes right now. I'm going to download some wisdom. You're like, and so I was going, your dad, your dad's a thief. He stole the stars from the skies and put them in your eyes. Right? If they don't like you, they might reply like this. Well, your dad's a thief. He stole the coconut from the coconut tree and put it in your head. Right? And that's why the moonwalk was invented, because you're like, okay, thank you, goodbye. <laughs> you're out of there, right? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, like, did it hurt? Did what hurt when you fell from heaven? You know, there you go. So I'm, just, I'm giving us some goals, the pills of wisdom right now. Yeah, I hope you're just lapping it up. But uh, anyway, let's move further. Let's, you know, here's the thing. Relationships are meant to grow. They're meant to grow, right? Because if it's not growing, it's not going to last long. Right? If you, if, and that's why we struggle in our marriages, because if your marriage isn't growing, it's not going to last long. 
no matter, or maybe you know, and, and whether it's in your workmates or with your, with your family members, relationships, if they're not growing, it's not going to last long, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, father, son, uh, work colleagues. We have to work at relationships, right? You've got to work at it. If you don't work at it, it's not going to last. Because true discipleship is about relationship. Did you know that? True discipleship is about relationship. Jesus didn't come to call, to call you know, go and, and, and make Christians in the world. He didn't say that. He said, go and make disciples. And discipleship is about relationship. That's what it's about. You were designed to be in relationship with God. And good relationships are meant to grow, right? So imagine you, you, know, you, you, you find the, pers- the perfect one. You fall in love with her, and she, she loved your lines, right? And then now you get married, you say the vows. And then after, this, after the wedding, you go home in separate cars. You go to your house, and you go to your separate bedrooms, right? And maybe, maybe and you have separate checking accounts, bank accounts. Some of you are thinking, we've got that right now. <laughs> you don't have a joint account, you have separate accounts, right? And you're like, um, and then you don't see each other. Maybe on your birthday, maybe on Valentine's Day, right? Maybe Christmas, right? And, and you know, will that relationship last? And the answer is no. In fact, I would even question whether or not you're in a relationship or you got married for the right reasons, right? But, you know, we do that with God, don't we? God, I'm... I'm giving you my heart. I'm turning my back on the world. I'm totally committed to you. And then the only time we check in with God is on a Sunday. Or the only time we check in with God is at connect groups and a Sunday. Or maybe just Easter, Christmas, right? Because relationships are meant to grow. If our relationship with God is not growing, there's something wrong with it, right? Because we've got to be intentional with our relationships, with our relationship. Your relationship with God is meant to grow. And see, this, this is what the... Uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 6 is all about, about, all about, in fact, we're going to start at the end of chapter 5, so going into chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, although we're doing chapter 6. Okay, anyway, we'll get there. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, and, and this is how it starts. About this, we have much to say about relationships, about being mature. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, right? Dull of hearing. When your relationship in your marriage or with, with, with someone you're trying to build with them, when they begin to say your, they begin to say that to you, you know, oh no, what's going on? You know, you have not heard me. You should know. I shouldn't have to tell you. Okay, anyway, let's move on. Every husband knows exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, the right of Hebrews is going. They're going right at it. They're going, you, you know, you've become dull of hearing. You've you, you become too lazy in your understanding. And it goes on to verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. What's righteousness? Righteousness is to do right by people. Right? For me to be righteous in my marriage, I've got to do right by my wife. If I need to be righteous towards my kids, I've got to do right by my kids. In order for me to do right by God, I have to do right in my relationships. Righteousness is a relational word. You cannot be righteous without relationship. See, God is righteous because of his relationship, not only with the Trinity, but with us. He is righteous. Therefore, we are righteous. It's a relational word. Right? For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. 
But solid food is for the mature. Any mature people in the room this morning? It's rhetorical. You don't have to put your hand up. There will be mature people. Okay? For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice of distinct, to distinguish good from evil. And we go, yeah, I, I can distinguish good from evil. Right? Or do we blur the line sometimes when it suits us? Right? No, I know good, good and evil, but then we blur it when we need to. I need to get there really quick. And there's this 9K buffer. I think I believe there is, and maybe in the anyway, whatever it is, we, do we blur the lines, or, or are we righteous? And then I'm like, where am I? With it? So here's the thing: babies can't change the world. The reason why babies can't change the world is because they haven't grown up yet. I know, right? You, this is words of wisdom right here. They can't because they haven't grown up. They're still babies. Solid food in this reference is meaning that, that it's talking about those who have matured and grown up. If you're on solid food in this reference, you mean you have matured and you're grown up. See, your family needs you to grow in God. See, your co-workers need you to grow in God. The future generations and your family legacy needs you to grow in God. Here's the good news. The solid solid food that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is not about how much information we have. The solid food that this writer is talking about is about having a real relationship with Jesus and relationships are meant to grow. I can have all the information about how well a marriage should be. I I would know all the information of how to have a great marriage. But unless I have real relationship with my wife, that's not going to go anywhere. I'm just immature. I could know all this stuff. But maturity comes when I begin to, when, when I begin to grow, we, our relationship begins to grow. And so the writer is saying here, you, you, you know, where's your maturity levels in the Lord? Where's your relationship with Jesus? Hebrews chapter 6, we got there. Verse 1, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go to maturity, not laying, a, not laying again on the foundation of repentance from dead works. Are we still here? Have you not understood? You're still in this dead work stuff. There's no these works is dead. What are you doing? Still doing this? The foundation of repentance from dead works and, and, and our faith towards God. See, the foundation of any relationship is love and grace. Love and grace. See, your kids don't have to earn your love. They don't have to earn your love. My kids don't have to, have to prove that they love me in order for me to love them. I will give my kids as much grace as they need. I have plenty of grace for my children, which is why I haven't got as much here today. They took it all. They, they needed a lot of grace. Right? Because relationship, real relationship is about love and grace. And, and then it's talking about our relationship with Jesus. See, this is the elementary doctrine. It's about grace. If we haven't grasped what grace means, then that means we're immature. We're immature. Are we still stuck on works? You stuff on, I've got to do good works. I still, it's still based on my behavior. It's, it's how I behave. It's, it's, my, it's my performance to the Lord. See, if we're still into that, the writer's saying, we're still immature. Because it's not based upon what you do. It's based on what Jesus has done for you. It's called grace. And if you even grasp grace, you're immature. In fact, um, what does Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 say? It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, 
not by works, so that no one can boast. You've got to, to be mature is to have this grasp of what grace is. If you haven't grasped it yet, you're still struggling with this idea of grace, then you're immature. And many believers still struggle with this concept. You could be in this room and you struggle with this, and I understand that. Because we're like, I don't want want to let God down, and we struggle, and we we focus on on our performance instead of focusing on the author and perfecter of our story, who is Jesus. When we take our eyes off him and look at ourselves, that's when I notice, I notice the more that I begin to go away from God is when I start focusing him and focus on my performance. And but the more I focus on Jesus, on Him, who's who's full of grace, full of love, full of truth, and I find my life changes. I get transformed by His love, not mine. Verse two. Because really, mentally, we, we get stuck in that place, don't we? When we need to understand, there's nothing that we don't have to try to make God love us, right? You know why? Because He already loves us. Right? Because I am saved by grace. Verse 2. And the instructions about baptisms, the laying of, of the hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. It's not about how much doctrinal theology I know. It's not about any of that. It's about the foundation that is built on grace. Right? If, I, if I've got, oh no, everything about the Bible, I know every verse in the Bible, but if I still haven't grasped grace, right, I'm still immature. I'm not mature. That's what the writer says. It's not what, what we will know. It's have you grasped grace? Because before you build, you need to have a solid foundation. We need the foundation of grace. See, too many people jump, jump up and they get into it. Oh, I want to learn. I know everything about the end times. I know everything about demons and angels. I want to, want to do all these things. And, but they haven't under, grasped the understanding of of grace, and so they built these great towers in their life and structures. So here's the bigger we build up the deeper we're going to go in our foundations. right? We're too quick to build up without going deeper in Jesus. The more in Jesus. And so our found, the deeper we go in Jesus, the deeper we go in this word grace and love, then the more that God will entrust us. That's why when, when, we, when we see Christians struggling in their faith, and because they built these strong towers, but their foundations are weak, when the wind comes, they topple over. They fall down. So what does your life look like? What does your faith look like? Look like, what is your foundation built on? Is it built on grace, or does it look like the leaning tower of Pisa? Right? Why is the to- leaning tower leaning? Because the foundation is shallow. It's shallow. They've strengthened it up so it doesn't fall anymore. It's started to move as it goes, but they've strengthened it up since then. So it's, and they've kept it on that angle. They could have made it straight, but it looks, you know, then you wouldn't have, wouldn't be called the leaning tower. Just because the straight tower of Pisa just doesn't sound the same. So what you know what what is our foundation built on? And and here's the thing, you know, when 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 bank tellers us uh, uh, how they teach bank tellers to identify counterfeits, counterfeit dollars, is that they make sure that the bank tellers never see a counterfeit dollar. They never will see one. All they study is they focus on the real McCoy. They just look at the real thing, the, 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 the real dollar. That's all they study. So that when something that's counterfeit comes their way, they recognize it straight away. Not because they've studied it, because they've looked and they've focused on the real McCoy, Jesus. When you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, forget about studying about all this, all this other stuff. You know, I remember thinking, oh, I want to learn about all the end times. I want to learn all this stuff. So this older guy said to me, you know, how about learning about Jesus? I don't really know about Jesus. 
And so I, okay, I, I, and so I started to study Jesus and study this word grace. This is what I found. The more I looked at Jesus, the more I wasn't interested in anything else. I want to know more about Jesus. And I, the digger, the digger, the bigger I dug. And then that's how I began to dig. Anyway, <laughs> the deeper you go, then you can become a good digger. Anyway, then brought up. Here we go. Let's keep moving. My wife, I can hear my wife in my ear singing to me. Here we go. Okay, here we go. Now, now the next passage we're going, to, we're going to look at is the most controversial part, right? And as soon as I see that, you're all leaning forward, because right? uh, I see the word controversial. I see that so I can get your attention and bring you back. Here we go. This is the con- most controversial part of the passage. Verse 4. For it is impossible. Everyone say impossible. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Elohim, who have taste, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. See, the writer is talking about people who had genuine faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, prophesying, all the Pentecostal things that came along with it, right? They're doing all these things, but somewhere down the line, they changed their mind. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you know what? Your faith is not based upon what you do and what you don't do. It's based on faith. Do you believe or don't you believe? The Bible tells us that, 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 that in Jesus' arms is every believer and he hasn't lost any. Meaning that when we struggle in our faith, turmoil and, turmoil and storms of marriage and struggle in any kind of relationships or, or, or hardships, he will hold us tight and we will not let go. But if we get to the point saying, I don't, I don't want to be in there, he's not going to hold us captive. We say, well, thank you, Jesus, but I don't want you. I reject you. He's not going to hold you captive, and we can jump out. See, see God doesn't just cheer us on. He carries, carries us on. He carries us on through, and holds us tight. When we find ourselves in the biggest storm, he is there with us. He will never let us go. But he's also, he, he's, he's not one to hold you captive. And you can decide to believe or not believe. I, I don't need you anymore. In fact, I'm going to trust in myself. And the, and, and the writer of Hebrews is talking about about um, people who are Jews, and, the, and these Jewish people become Christians and followers of Jesus, and, 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 and they receive the grace of God, and the Holy Spirit comes upon their life. But then all of a sudden, they start looking back to their ways of Torah-keeping and Sabbath-keeping and all these things, which is, which, is, which is okay. But all of a sudden, I'm going to put my trust in that system. I'm going back to my old ways, and I'm rejecting Christ. And he, you know, let me tell you something. Christianity is the only religion in the world that's, that, that is not based on works. It's based upon what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It's based on that. And when we go back to put our faith in something else, when we put our faith in nothing else, we're rejecting what Christ has done. Jesus died for no one. Or what the writer of Hebrews said, you're crucifying them all again. Putting them back up there. Well, you didn't die for me. And this is what the writer is doing. He's, He's writing to, he's saying, come on. Come on, do you believe or don't believe? Believe. And he's not saying, oh, that, 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 you'll, that uh, you'll never struggle. Come on, keep trusting. Keep being. Keep being with them. And this impossible language, it, 
this possible anger comes in, for it is impossible to be saved by our own dead works. It's impossible for us to be saved by our own dead works. They have rejected Jesus, right? I've really rejected Jesus, and I'm putting it trust in myself. Like in, like in the Garden of Eden, when humanity chose not to trust in God's definition of what is good and evil, and they begin to trust in ourselves and redefine for myself what is good and evil. I'm redefining for myself again. I don't trust in your goodness and what is good. I'm redefining for, I don't want, and no one's going to tell me anything else. Certainly not you. Verse 7, for the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and, and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Right? Oh, this is pretty heavy. See, now many people think that this section is teaching that, that believers who sin too much or too badly, for believers who sin too much or too, or, or too badly will lose their salvation. But that's just bad theology. That's not what it's saying. Because salvation cannot be earned by good works. And it can't be lost by not having any good works either. Because I am saved by what Jesus has done for me on the cross. I don't earn, it's not by my performance. It's what he has done. And the reason why many believers struggle with this is because we struggle with this thing that goes through our head. Is, oh, does this mean I can do anything I want just as long as I believe? And we feel there's a tension that doesn't sound right. And, and, and it isn't right. And that's not what it's saying. In fact, the, the writer of Hebrew goes on in verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. Oh, this word work is back in there. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints. Talking about relationships with one another and serving one another. As you still do. Verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So don't give up. Hold on to them. Keep believing. Keep looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your story, till the end. Keep believing. Verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, be lazy in your thinking, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise to be imitators. It's about believing loyalty. See, good works doesn't earn or keep your salvation, but it shows it. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. And when you read through the New Testament, good works doesn't earn or keep your salvation, but it shows it. So if I said to my kids that I love my kids, but my actions show anything else, but I don't feed them, I don't look after them, I don't spend any time with them, and I say, oh, hey, just as long as I say I love my kids, that's okay. And the answer is no, it's not okay. It's not okay because, it, because, because it's your work shows, your, shows what you really believe. I meet a lot of Christians who say, oh, I believe in God, but their lives are so far away. And I just say, could you at least show that you love him? Please, just at least show him. See, the reason we have eternal life is not because we've stopped 
sinning. Right? Has anyone stopped sinning? <laughs> it's, I'm the only one that found that funny. Anyway, let's just move on. The reason we have eternal life is not that we've stopped sinning. Right? This, this, honestly. The reason why we have eternal life is actually because Christ was raised from the dead. Because of what Christ did for us on the cross, what we could not do for ourselves. That God loved us so much that he saw us in our mess. He saw us in our brokenness, that he steps into his creation in the fullness of Jesus. He dies on the cross for our sins, for our greatest regrets. We can't go back and, uh, and change our past, but he can. He can wipe the slate clean. That's why we have eternal life, because we believe in what he did for us. See, people who really understand the gospel, this word grace, they're going to imitate him. They're going to imitate Christ because it's really about gratitude. When, when, when Puddle, my wife, finally said yes, finally, it was a long, hard slogger. Let me tell you, let me tell you that. She fin- I don't know how, why she took a long time to say yes because, like, look at me. Anyway, don't answer. <laughs> she said yes. And guess what? The more, well, this is what I found. The more times I hung up with Puddle, the more I, I liked the things she liked, the more I loved the things she loved. All of a sudden, I found myself loving boxing, right? Because I'm a lover. She's the fighter, <laughs> right? And guess what? The more she hung out with me, the more she started to love the things I was passionate about. She started loving studying the Word of God, Star Wars and Star Trek and Marvel and all those other things that come with it. The, and the more we're in love with someone, it's about relationship, the more we become like. And the more we love Jesus, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author perfecter of our story, the more we become. He loves us just as we are. There's nothing we can do to make Jesus love us anymore because he already loves us. There's nothing we can do to make Jesus love us less because he already loves us. But he loves us too much for us to stay the same. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author perfecter of our story, it's his love that transforms us. We become more, become imitators of Christ. Because good works doesn't lead to salvation. But salvation leads to a life of good works. When you understand, you start to become mature. That's, that good works doesn't lead to salvation, but what Jesus has done for salvation, it leads to a life of good works as they become imitators of him. Verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear... He swore by himself, saying, this is God, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the ears of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And as I'm reading this, I wish I made it a bigger font. Verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Jesus is our anchor. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain talking of the temple, the Holy of Holies, now speaking of in heaven. 
where Jesus is now in the presence of God, where Jesus is our anchor that anchors us here on earth. We are anchored by Jesus in the Holy of Holies, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, Abraham was not saved by works. He was not saved by Torah keeping. He was not saved by circumcision. He was saved by faith because he believed. Because he was believed, God deemed them as righteous. Faith in Jesus, who was in the very presence of God, who is our anchor, who represents us to God, is our high priest forever. So what does this mean for us? It means that we can stop running away from God. It means that you can stop running away from God. It means that when you, when you mess up, and you will. See, we tend to run away from him because we feel unworthy, because we fall in this trap that we have to please him somehow. We fall in this trap of performance. And, we, and so that's why we run, because we feel that we're not performing well. The minute my kids feel that they can't come to me when they mess up, when there's a train wreck in their life, that will sadden my heart. That I want my kids to come to me, regardless of what, to come to me. Why? Because I love them. And I have so much grace to give them. So it means that we can stop running away from God when we mess up. Because there's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. Because He already loves us. See, real relationships are messy. They're messy. I know you're looking at our, me and Porto and our marriage looks, looks really tidy, but it's really messy. Look, look at this big mess right here. It's messy. But real relationships are meant to grow, to grow in the mess, messiness, honestly. And this mess becomes this beautiful mess. Look at this beautiful mess right now. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> See, here's the thing. When you recognize your mess, when you acknowledge your mess, you recognize and you acknowledge God. Instead of running away from Him, hiding our mess, God already knows, but when we bring that before God, God, I've messed up in this area. And we acknowledge it before God. We look to Him. When we begin to acknowledge, that's when real transformation begins to happen. When we, just be, be, when we begin to blur that line and we don't acknowledge it, we struggle. Because God, I've made a mess of my marriage. I've made a mess of my studies. I've made a mess of my finances. Come on, once we become aware that we fall short of our own standards, don't we? I can't even reach my own standards, let alone God's standards. But when we become aware and we give it to God, we're just baby steps away from God doing something amazing in your life. Here's the thing. Everyone in this room, we have something in common. Did you know that? We all have something in common, and that is the mess. That means you have something in common with the person you despise the most. You have something in common with that person, that you both are messy. Which means you have something in common with that neighbor that you despise, who plays their music way too loud, who parks in the driveway. Well, you may be that neighbor, but anyway, you have something in common. We all have a mess. 
because it's a reminder that we need each other. That's relationship. That's maturity. See, this week I want you to try something. Just try, just for this one week. Don't have to do it any other time. You can keep doing it if you want. But just for this week, right? I'm going to ask you next week. This is this is what I want you to do. When you see someone making a mess, and you go to work and you see that person, everyone knows that person. That's oh my gosh. I hope I don't. Oh, I hope I don't have to sit and talk to this person because now they're going to unload their mess on me. Right? We all know that person in our workplace. You know who that is. You may be that person. <laughs> this is what I want us to do. When you see that person coming to you, towards you, or maybe you go towards them, I want you to whisper this phrase under your breath. And this is it. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. And when we begin to, to, to see everyone that we will have something in common, this is what happens to us. All of a sudden, we become gracious. We become more loving. Because we realize we have something in common. For God so loved the messy people of the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes will have eternal life. So imagine what the church would be like today. Imagine what the reputation of Christians would be. Imagine what the reputation of the church would be. Instead of being critical, and we got this area right, because honestly, when we get honestly, we need, to, we need to be mature. When we see someone making a mistake and messing up, rather than clobbering them, oh, look at you, backslider, look at you. Come on, you're messing up something in your life too. Begin to love on them. Begin to restore them. Begin to be Jesus to them. Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples when we love one another. And when we do that, we become mature. Because we finally got a grasp of what grace is. Not based on my performance, based on what Jesus has done for us. May we become more gracious to one another. Instead of being critical. Instead of being critical of the people we see sitting outside countdown with a sign. If we can get this area right, and if we can put our hand out to help someone in the mess, never look down on someone unless you're helping them up. That is what grace is is and that's the kind of relationship that God wants for us because he is gracious he is kind he is good he is forgiving he is love I know a mess when I see one because I am one because I am saved by grace come on let us pray